So today's Remembrance Day, and this is a little bit different because this isn't a sermon that's recorded live in front of my church. Our church went all together after an abbreviated service to a community Remembrance Day service where I had the honor of delivering the following message. One of the most exciting things to me about becoming a parent was giving names to my children. That was kind of a nerdy thing to be excited about, but uh, the, the giving of names is a sacred and special act. It shows authority and care. And so bo- both my girls have names that have special meanings to us. I learned about the sacredness of names from the Bible, where names often represent the character of a person. In fact, it's incredibly common in Scripture for someone to undergo a significant change in identity and have God change their name at the same time as that personal transformation. Three quick examples. In the Old Testament, most of us have heard of Abraham. That name means father of many. His name used to be Abram, which means exalted father. Back then, he was just a farmer, which is a dangerous thing to say in my town, just a farmer. Everybody squints at you and says, what do you mean, just a farmer? But compared to who he would become, he was just a farmer. Um, And he was 75 years old, and he had no kids. And his name, exalted father, kind of didn't make any sense. He wasn't a dad. But God called him and chose him to be the first man to have faith in the one true God. And when he called him, he also changed his name from Abram to Abraham, father of many. Which makes sense, because where we stand now, there's 7 billion people on planet Earth. At least 4 billion of them, every Christian, Muslim, and Jew, can trace their roots of faith back to Abraham, whose identity truly became father of many. Abram to Abraham. Another example is Abraham's grandson, Jacob. The name Jacob means supplanter, someone who takes the place of someone else. A trickster, in other words. A usurper. Jacob was a bit of a sneaky, devious character, especially to his older brother Esau. Well, that's who he was, until one night he wrestled with some heavenly figure in this really strange story, and it was then, after that wrestling match, that he was told that God would honor his initial promise to his grandfather Abraham through him, Jacob of all people, Jacob the trickster. But with that beautiful promise came a name change and a change of identity. No longer would he be known as the sneaky supplanter. Now he would be given a name that means wrestles with God. Because that's what he did. He wrestled with God. And what is the Hebrew word for wrestles with God? Israel. So all of God's people would share the identity of this reformed trickster who would now be known for engaging with God and struggling to obey him. One more example from the New Testament where we meet a violent young anti-Christian zealot named Saul who is responsible for the imprisonment and execution of many followers of Jesus in the years after Jesus' resurrection. That was Saul's identity, crusher of Christians. But then he had a life-altering interaction with Jesus, and his whole identity changed. Instead of murdering Christians, he began making Christians, specifically Gentile Christians. And with this change of identity came a change in name, a change to something greater. He would now be known as Paul, the man who would eventually author a large portion of the New Testament. Each of these name changes also signified a change in identity, from someone anonymous like Abram, or someone kind of devious and tricky like Jacob, or someone ignorant and destructive like Saul, to become someone greater, someone stronger, someone more blessed. So Abram became Abraham, father of many, this new blessed identity. Jacob became Israel, wrestles with God, a more beautiful purpose and identity. Paul 
went from crusher of Christians to maker of Christians. He became this history-changing servant of Jesus. With the change in name came a beautiful change in purpose. Now, you might be thinking, wait, why is he telling us about Bible names? Shouldn't he be talking about Remembrance Day? Isn't it ironic that he forgot to speak about Remembrance Day on Remembrance Day? Well, I promise I have a point, and it's this. The day that we are gathered here to celebrate is called Remembrance Day. It's called that now, but it wasn't always known by that name. From 1919, when the first such day was commemorated, until 1931, it was known as Armistice Day, and it's still recognized under that name by several countries around the world. But, as with Abraham, Israel, and Paul, the name change from Armistice Day to Remembrance Day is a change towards something greater, something more meaningful and more beautiful. See, an armistice is simply the laying down of weapons. It's a truce, a ceasefire. For context, North and South Korea are technically under a state of armistice. And how's that working out for everyone on that peninsula? Not so great. Being in a state of armistice is far from being in a state of peace. Armistice is an incomplete namesake for a day like today because the laying down of weapons, signified by the word armistice, fully a century ago, isn't something we can necessarily connect with today. An armistice is merely an historical marker, a note in a textbook. It's anonymous, powerless, and insufficient in comparison to our purposes this morning. And so, the name was changed. And as with the examples from the Bible, the name change beautifully highlights a greater identity and a higher purpose for our day today. On November 11th, we don't gather as a community to celebrate a mere ceasefire. We don't gather because military victories were achieved and guns stopped firing. We don't gather to commemorate an armistice. Instead, we gather to remember. And there's lots to remember. First of all, we gather to remember our shared Canadian values of peacemaking over warmongering. I would add, those are Christian values as well. Peacemaking over warmongering. And that's a source of great national pride for us Canadians. That around the world, we're renowned for resolving conflict rather than initiating it. Furthermore, we gather to voice our shared dedication to defending those who are marginalized and oppressed. World War II was fought in part to liberate Jews, homosexuals, and other outsiders targeted by those in power, namely the Nazis. Well, in North America, as the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh or the nightclub shooting in Orlando would remind us, those people groups, and many others, are still the targets of violence and oppression today. Think of closer to home here in Canada, where we remember to dismantle hatred against our First Nations neighbors as we remember the travesty of residential schools. We remember that Canada is a place where religious freedoms were fought for, and so we denounce mosque burnings and vandalizations and Islamophobia or racism or xenophobia of any kind. We remember to defend those who are marginalized and oppressed. And finally, Along with promoting peace and defending the marginalized, we also gather to remember the priceless value of sacrifice. We remember those who suffered for the sake of peace. We remember those who laid down their bodies so others could experience freedom from oppression. We remember those laid to rest in poppy-covered fields across Europe, or beneath the turbulent waves off the Korean peninsula, or buried in the rocky wilderness of Afghanistan. We remember those who suffer anxiety, depression, and the effects of PTSD after witnessing atrocities in Rwanda, Bosnia, Haiti, Sudan, or wherever their sacrificial service took them. 
We remember those who were left behind, those who wept and prayed for and longed to be reunited with loved ones, those who paid the sacrificial cost of death or injury or emotional damage done to their children, their spouses, their parents, their siblings, their friends and neighbors. We remember the price paid for our own freedoms. We remember their sacrifice. And so we remember peace. We remember to defend those under attack. We remember sacrifice. And that's a lot of remembering to do, but remembering is really the least we could do. With a change in name came a change in purpose and identity. If it was merely named Armistice Day, we would remember that a war ended a century ago, and then we'd go on with our day. But it had its name changed to something greater, something more beautiful, something more purposeful. And so, on Remembrance Day, we remember that everything that was fought for in the past century is still worth fighting for today, and you need not be in uniform, and you need not use weapons and ammunition to fight for them. The purpose of Remembrance Day is to remember. Remember to work for peace. Remember to defend the oppressed. Remember to sacrifice for the sake of others. Remember the purpose and identity behind the name of this special day. Now, of course, because this was a public service, I couldn't go too Jesus-y with things, but we recognize, not just on Remembrance Day and every day, that, that that peace, that defense of the oppressed and marginalized, that sacrifice is most perfectly represented, not even by veterans or or heroes who laid down their lives for others. We recognize that peace, defending the oppressed, and sacrifice are best represented by Jesus Christ. But for what the day is, it's not about glorifying war. It's about remembering the cost of war, remembering why those wars were fought, remembering that we can still fight those battles today as believers in Jesus Christ. lot of remembering to do, but remembering is really the least we could do.